What's up, everybody? Welcome to another Brutally Speaking Live uh, episode. This is with Ross Shotland of Enjoy the Ride Records. Dan was able to join me for this one. It's a lot of fun. We talked a lot about vinyl, how Ross got into being a label owner. We talk about some of our favorite records that are in our collection, tour variants, and so much more. So if you're a music appreciator, if you're a collector, this is definitely going to be an episode for you. Uh, Real quickly, if you would like to keep up with everything going on with Enjoy the Ride Records, just go to enjoytheriderecords.com. You'll see everything that Ross has got available on his website. Uh, We are also still doing the contest at the end for the Wawa gift card. Simple enough. Just go to our YouTube channel. Just go to youtube.com slash brewspeakpod and you will find our channel. Subscribe. We are still a little bit away from 300 subscribers. Once we get to that 300 from the 28 subscribers we needed, I will then put those names into a list and I will hit. Uh, I will go live on our Facebook or YouTube or whatever, maybe all of them all at once, and uh, I will pick a random winner. And uh, not only will you get this $25 gift card to Wawa, but you'll get a 10% off coupon to use over at enjoytheriderecords.com. Uh, we will get all that set up uh, with whomever the winner is. Again, please don't be a dick. If you don't live near a state that has a Wawa, please don't enter this contest, basically. Uh, I mean, if you want to subscribe, by all means, please do. Um, But if you know that you don't live in an area that has a Wawa, just let me know ahead of time. So that way I'm not basically sending this to someone who can't use it because I can't use it. And there's just no fun in doing that. So um, going to get into this. This was a lot of fun. It was uh, pretty long, about an hour and a half-ish or so. So uh, enjoy, and we will talk to you on Sunday. hard to believe that's over a decade old now <laughs> yeah that was fancy that was nice yeah and yeah yeah that's very crazy look when i started doing stuff it was like i was doing 10 year anniversaries of you know things i was in high school for and now 10 years of the album i put out to start the label is very crazy to think about yeah i guess that's as good of a place as any to start for people maybe who aren't familiar with you which this is ross shotland who uh is owner and founder and all those uh things also a client probably to a degree (laughs) of uh enjoy the ride records and enjoy the uh was it enjoy the tunes is that how it goes okay sublabel and uh yeah i met ross uh digitally i think this is the first time we've actually spoken face to face but uh you know, you, many years ago when the Harvard put out the inevitable INI, I actually had the guys stay here uh, on a tour they were doing and uh, got to hear some stories about how because I was like, man, your guys's vinyl and variants are just so cool, like better than anything I've really ever seen, especially uh, what was the EVR that put it out? Uh, the second record they put out. The first record was just us. OK, OK. I think at that point they had been signed to EVR, but they hadn't yeah, put anything out yet. So. Was that? Do you remember? What was that? Do you remember which tour that was? Um, the one I ended up doing was them, and uh, it was what was their old name? Daylight. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That was. Yeah. They were signed at that point. I think it might have been before the record came out or around yeah. before it came out. But yeah, I they think, were definitely signed. I think yeah, Cardboard Houses that seven inch I think had just come out. That makes sense. So yeah, the record was probably going to come out soon. I would guess. But uh, it was interesting because I was like, man, I've never seen vinyl like that it has like this much attention to detail between like the album artwork and the the packaging and just everything about it. 
And they're like, oh, yeah, it's this guy that, you know, found us or whatever and put out our first record and so on and so forth. And then I started following you. And I think uh, I had made my first contact with you personally uh, once you decided to uh, re-release the first Corn record. Right. So how, how did you end up starting the label? Um, well, I always wanted to run a label um, basically since I got into like independent music, which was in high school, which was like 2000, 2001, around there. Um, and I went to school for my parents for hope for hoping I would kind of grow out of it and just get a normal business job. So I went to Buffalo to normal business school. And then I decided to major or minor in music business um, and kind of take a bunch of classes online at like uh, Berkeley School of Music and uh, NYU. I took over the summer. So, yeah, I always kind of wanted to do this, ideally, not really knowing how I would figure it out. And then I interned at Sony uh, also when I um was in college so that kind of set me up a little bit and kind of to be honest uh made me realize i didn't want to really be in the corporate world even though ironically <laughs> I deal with so many corporations currently from licensing and stuff but i don't really work for them so it's fine but uh yeah i always wanted to open a label and uh just kind of as soon as i graduated college i started looking for bands and uh, which i guess leads us into harvard um Harvard, I want to sign two bands. I want to sign one like more poppy, pop punk, pop rock kind of band and one more cult following. Uh, Glass Jaw is one of my favorite bands. So a, a kind of band like that, Circus Survive, Glass Jaw, something that would take a while to get a following, but the people that would find them would love them and they would be lifelong fans and that kind of thing, um, which ended up being Harvard. And the second band, I just never ended up happening and just spend too much time money and effort on harvard which ended up obviously working out in the long run but um yeah uh, i found jesse in college ironically uh through oh, wow. a black band site through his old hmm. band uh defending brooklyn uh they were like the band of the month on some glass jaw fan site at the time and i just kind of always kept tabs thought he was super talented and then as soon as i was ready to do it i spent a year looking for a lot of different bands especially the popular band but always kept them in the back of my mind and Went down to North Carolina, showcased them, and kind of the rest is history. We hit it off, and that was it. So you were involved with Harvard, like around the time of Animals, even like when the band yeah. kind of first started. Okay, yeah, they. I think they put out a small run of Animals on CD themselves, and then when I found them, they had no physical music available at shows or anything. And I was like, "That's ridiculous! You guys should definitely have something available to sell to people who like you to remember you." And whatever, so I we did a very small another. I don't even remember how many, a couple hundred maybe another run of CDs that were like totally different artwork, screen printed, like the whole mm -hmm. deal. Um, but yeah, and then at that point they were writing for what became the Inevitable Night. So I remember the showcase. They played Ghost and they played um, one other song. He didn't write French Girls yet. He wrote French Girls very soon after that. I remember like we were talking a lot after the showcase and he's like, Oh, I, wrote, I taught myself trumpet. And, and, yeah. last and I wrote this song. <laughs> that story is so crazy. Yeah. I remember that. Um, I think that, I think there were a couple songs, Mr. Teeth, maybe I think they played at the, uh, uh, yeah, I think I remember talking to Jason. Cause I think Jason was more of the one I kind of hit it off with, especially dealing with him in the booking of everything. Yeah. Um, and so kind of getting the story from them a little bit, um, but yeah, because I think uh, yeah, there's just a lot of different sounds and textures on that. And 
I was like stoked on the band. Uh, a friend of mine told me to go see them when they were on some tour, like literally playing a bar. Like it's just like I could walk there in like 10 minutes yeah. uh, from my house currently. And was a thing where he was like, dude, you got to see this band. They're kind of like glass jaw, sort of like their intensity and just like their vibe, but like sort of like circus. It's funny. You're mentioning all these bands that like my friend was like, it's like this, but it's like this. And it's like this. Right. I was like, I was like, okay, I have no idea what I'm going to go. <laughs> what I'm going to go see. Cause like circa and, Glassjaw aren't necessarily the same at all, but right. they sort of are. There's tendencies that are similar. People remember, that would like Glassjaw, and yeah, I no, I, I see it though. Like it's yeah. not a direct comparison, and it shouldn't be. No, but it was uh, one of those things where I went to go see him, and, and there was like a handful of people. There's actually a video that I usually post every now and again from that show where there was like maybe like 10 or 15 of us. Um, and I was just like, what the fuck? Like Jesse's wearing a weird, creepy, like mask thing. Oh, and, yeah. Oh, uh, was that the the 2010 tour with Lights Resolve and uh, uh, yeah, that sounds about right. Um, who's the other band? Uh, oh, wow, it's terrible. <laughs> it's terrible. We can't remember something from ten years ago, ten plus years ago. A tour, <laughs> Empires. That was okay. It. Yeah, Empire band. I, I knew it was one word. Um, but yeah, um, yeah, Jesse. I I, I loved. I, I was on like a week of that tour. From I met up with them in North Carolina. And then they drove me up back to New York and they stayed with me for like a week and we did a bunch of stuff in New York. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, that was a, yeah, I really enjoyed that era with the, uh, the mask. It was quite Jason with his long ass hair. <laughs> yeah. It's quite fucking interesting, but yeah. And then um, somehow McTiernan was interested and we kind of lucked out there. And um, that was part of why we didn't, I didn't end up signing a second band. McTiernan was a little more than I was really planning to spend, but I couldn't pass up an opportunity like that. Um, he, like movie life's also one of my favorite records and he produced all their shit and um, thrice. Like he's the fucking man. And the fact that he was even interested and willing to cut us a deal was, you know, we couldn't really pass that up. Would have always regretted not knowing how the record could have came out, you know, something. And I'll kind of pose this to, to Dan as well. You know, I think we're all roughly around the same age, you know, the time of you starting this label, records were kind of somewhat on the upswing, but they also weren't at the same time. Like I know hot topic had a large inventory of records, but like you weren't really finding them at shows as much. Uh, and you know, out and about like the other than going to like a mom and pop record store, you weren't seeing when I started the label, I wasn't even like, I was very into vinyl, but I wasn't planning on making vinyl at this point. Um, I didn't start making vinyl until the first vinyl release was summer of 2010. Um, and the Harvard, for context, uh, the inevitable I came out December of '09. That was like you know a year into signing them, and we had to get the record recorded and then mixed, mastered, and pressed, and out on CD, pressed, and whatever the whole the whole ordeal, and you know some sort of marketing or attempting to get the word out about them. Which you know, in my in my experience, word of mouth and you know works a lot better than paid marketing and shoving shit down people's throat. At least in our generation. And yes. the generation to come is going to only be worse, I'm sure, in terms of just whatever blacking out shit that they don't want to pay attention to. But um, yeah, I forgot where I was going with this. Oh yeah, I, I wasn't doing vinyl originally. Um, I wanted to, and I was buying vinyl. That was kind of how I got into vinyl, really. And uh, the whole industry. So I started the label. I graduated college in 2007, and I was in a car. I was managing my friend's band, um, and we were in the studio putting on EP. And coming back from the studio, we got into a car accident which got me, uh, which I like really screwed up my hand. I like tore a bunch of ligaments and got some sort of money from the lawsuit, um, which really funded the label. But the, the original amount I had was 
less than it would pay. It cost to fucking uh, get McTiernan alone, let alone you know making anything else. And you know the band needed money just to exist at that point. Ooh, yeah. Um, granted, it was a ton of money, but it was enough to, I guess, get me by and uh, enjoy the ride semi. Upon on you know the car accident situation and <laughs> whatnot, but um, <laughs> worth yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, but at that point, it was 2007. Like that was when the height of downloading and the economy crashed. So anything that people didn't need to spend money on, they weren't. So music, if you could get it for free, most people could, and most people did. So I even remember McTunin saying in the studio, like, just out of curiosity, dude, like, what would possess somebody to start a record label in 2008? And I was like, I. <laughs> semi-speechless but like i'm like honestly like it's what i always wanted to do and like if i didn't do it now when i didn't have whatever the possibilities i have then i would have never done it and i don't know everything is right place right time because vinyl you know vinyl came back right when whatever a couple of years into doing it and if i had let's say knock on the college and just like went right into the music industry vinyl wouldn't have been a market when that happened and if i waited longer than like everything, you know, everything is right place, right time, especially the entertainment industry. But I don't know. Life is right place, right time. And especially with this, like, I don't know, like people are like, you're like, you got lucky with this shit. And like, it's opportunity meets preparation. Honestly, like I was really into vinyl and I knew people in the industry in turn to do various shit and everything kind of came together at the right time essentially. But, uh, going back, yeah, I wasn't really planning to do vinyl. Um, it really just kind of happened that I was really into buying vinyl and noticed a lot of shit I wanted to buy didn't exist on vinyl. Yeah. Uh, um, then uh, what's a, what's his name? Uh, a label put out uh, Blink One Eighty Two self titled and um, Do Drench and Enema for the first time. This was probably two thousand nine, maybe two thousand eight, and I and like it was a random label I never heard of. It wasn't you know Universal. And I was mm-hmm. like, who the fuck is this? How? How is that possible? And I looked into it and I'm like, oh, you could prepare. It was a lot easier back then. Like now you can't really <laughs> yeah. do records so easily. But back then I was like, like this kid's around my age. Like he went to NYU. Like we knew a bunch of the same people. Like, and then um, Brent from Juliana Theory happened to randomly tweet. Um, it was, so the first vinyl release we did was uh, Music from Another Room EP, their B-side EP, um, yeah. which at the time was, you know, a huge deal. Like, I grew up loving Juliana Theory, so being associated with anything with that name was awesome, even though, you know, it was the B-side EP, which now doesn't sound so great. But, um, yeah, um, that was in conjunction with their reun- uh, farewell tour, I believe. I don't remember mm-hmm. if it was a reunion or farewell tour. It was, it was 2010. Um, but regardless, he put out, like, a tweet, like, I think it's time for some more Juliana Theory vinyl. Anyone out there interested? And it's whatever. It's kind of happened. <laughs> It's like, yeah, it's the perfect storm because I think up to that point, because I always joke that vinyl never really went away in the sense that the people that collected it and loved it before always collected it. But I feel like there was definitely a period, uh, especially in the, you know, probably from like early 90s all the way up until, you know, yeah, about 20, about 2010, 2011, 
where if it did exist, it existed only as a novelty and it wasn't good quality. Really? You know, a lot of these labels, they put it out on vinyl in a limited run just for people to hang up on their walls and stuff. If you listen to the quality of some of that stuff that that came out in in the late nineties, early two thousands, even if they pressed it to a record, it was like still the, the, 320k mp3 you know right. uh version so the mixing was always really really bad and i think that's around the time that i started getting into vinyl was probably like what 2012 2013 sometime right. around there uh because the stuff was actually starting to sound good and it had kind of broken out of people just thinking of it as just a novelty item and then you had people that were actually like actively collecting yeah like the market uh, really grew like honestly a lot more than I expected over the last decade. Like originally I definitely thought it would be more, I knew X amount of people, for example, like something corporate, uh, like in my head, yeah. I knew there's 2000 people who want this on vinyl. It's just a matter of you not know, being able to find them and figuring out the logistics of that. Um, yeah. What, uh, here's a, I guess a fun question. What, uh, I guess Dan and I probably started collecting records well after you did, Ross. But uh, what are some of the first records that everyone had gotten? We'll start with Ross. What is one of the first records you got to start your collection? Um, for some reason, I always thought vinyl was interesting. Like, I remember even in high school, I had CDRs that looked like records. because I thought it was cool. I was going to burn, like, my older shit that came out on vinyl, like, 70s and 80s shit on those. I remember that particularly. But uh, the first, uh, I started buying vinyl... Uh, high school ironically to get like these sides and stuff because like that was i guess the marketing ploy at least for the smarter labels victory did that as did um uh iodine which was brand news label brand news put out vinyl uh through them and they had a b-side exclusive on their vinyl as they taking back sunday and i was obsessed with both those bands and wanted as much content as i could so those were the first records i bought um and brand new was on white vinyl which, like, at the time, I didn't even know color vinyl existed. And I remember, like, thinking that was fucking crazy that it was on white vinyl. Well, now it's on God knows what. But, uh, yeah, and then from there, I just kind of started buying shit on eBay. But didn't really buy anything during college, which was, like, 03 to 07, just because I didn't have a turntable, didn't have space, didn't really anywhere have, didn't really even have anywhere to ship them. Um, and then when I got back from college, which was 07, I kind of started digging in, and that was when I realized – some stuff was on vinyl that I was into, but really a lot wasn't. So at the time I was trying to kind of get everything I could that was relevant to my taste, which obviously now is beyond impossible. But at the <laughs> time it was semi seemingly reasonable or seemingly possible at least. Dan, what was one of your first records? Uh, well, uh, the very, the very first one that I bought, and this actually goes from, relatively far back uh before the time we're talking about and that was uh it was like a mud vein uh vinyl that was it was like a seven inch and it had not falling on one side actually had it, from hot topic yeah 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 it's it like bad. it's like red clear red yep, yep, I had that. it's got a it's got like a live version of prod uh on the b side and uh and i thought that was so cool and like i had records before that but they were just like my dad's records so it's like johnny cash records and led zeppelin records and stuff like that uh but i don't think i really got seriously into collecting until I, a buddy of mine bought me uh for my birthday a couple years later he bought me like the nightmare before christmas uh soundtrack on vinyl 
Yeah, it was like a double picture disc. It sounded like crap. I'm not sure, but I, that was also a that was also like a hot topic thing. But then once I got seriously into like, I think I'm gonna buy some vinyl records. Uh, I bought two. I bought uh, brand new Deja Intendu, oh, and wow. um, and then I got uh, In Flames, The Gesture Race. So it definitely like those records are pretty indicative of how how much of a spectrum my musical taste can be in you know as far as like swinging one way one way to the other but uh but yeah that was those those were the first and it's kind of been like i went through a period after that of the next five years just basically every record that i had that i loved i wanted to get on vinyl i didn't necessarily want to have every record ever on vinyl uh but now that it's a few years later i mean i'm like yeah i mean I could maybe try to get every record ever on vinyl, but um, <laughs> we're gonna have to we're gonna have to start, you know, uh, doing some serious hardcore advertising on the podcast before that happens. <laughs> uh, no surprise for me, it was uh, finding the big dirty uh, at Hot Topic. It was on a clearance for some reason at the store I was at. Uh, really, up on clearance that now we're like hundreds of dollars. Yeah. Dude, I have that like poop brown variant that like. I didn't realize until I was in like the eats it uh, Facebook group that people were like, I need the big dirty. It doesn't, it, it's out of print, especially that variant. And I was like, I have a copy, <laughs> but yeah. like, I, it was crazy to see how much it was going, like how much it was going for in general uh, for a while. And that was kind of like one of those things, like sort of like what you were saying earlier, Ross, like I had it, I didn't have a record player and I just kind of displayed it. Cause I thought it was, you know, I liked the record. I liked the band and it was cool. And then after meeting my wife, I think I had another, I think I had a Deftones record too. I just don't remember which one. Um, but it was a thing of hanging out with her. She had a record player, but like no real records, um, you know, that were new per se. I think it was White Pony actually, now that I think about it. And uh, was a thing where we just started listening to records because, you know, neither of us had cable really and didn't really have a whole lot of money to go do shit. So we just sit around and listen to records and bullshit. And one of the first times I remember being excited about a new record coming out was uh, when Kanye's My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy was getting ready to come out and that trailer movie thing he put out. Yeah. And I remember sitting in her apartment and I, we were watching that like 40 minute video and I was like, holy shit, I'm so excited for this fucking record. And as soon as it came out, like I think we went in halvesies on it because it was like a giant fucking yeah. uh, album. He actually has. On well, of the later stuff, that's I think the last new thing he put out. But yeah, directly well, indirectly, he's he's definitely been getting ahead of that trend where he's been self uh, pre pre releasing his stuff. Like uh, oh, the yeah, Jesus yeah, King, yeah, right. I just came, just got Jesus is King. The uh, whatever just, that yeah, uh, is not. Or, uh, I just only really care about Jesus at this point. So <laughs> very true. Um, but yeah, that was that was one of the the first times, uh, basically since I've been with my wife. Like that's been when I really got into vinyl collecting because like we would be interested in getting records. And you know, I remember like she had this Throwdown record, and she's like, "Yeah, I found it at a you know record store for real cheap," and someone fucking wrote all over it. And then one day I was like, "That's Dave Peters. Dave Peters, the singer of Throwdown, fucking signed this record, and you bought it for five dollars at a record store." <laughs> yeah, he ruined it, man. He wrote all over it. Oh. <laughs> I guess that's a fun thing. What is, uh, in, you know, in vinyl collecting and, and all that kind of stuff, what is something that you found that you're just like, I, holy shit, I can't believe I found this just out in the open? Um, that's a good question. Um, I do most of my shopping online, but there's definitely been some stuff in the wild. I can't think of anything on top of my head. 
I guess uh, we'll throw it to Dan. If Dan's got anything, give you a couple minute, more minutes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I've got, um, this is actually funny. So this is also a rock and pod. Mm. Uh, I, I, they had, it was like nothing but like podcasters and then like vinyl, vinyl sellers, you know? Uh, and so it took about two or three hours to get through everything. And, um, so, and, and like a lot of these guys were like really trying to rip people off because like, obviously like they, they'd have like, they had like the rage against the machine self-titled for like 150 bucks, like up on a display or whatever. Well, I pull out like actual like Def Jam uh, uh, versions of like original pressings of Slayer's Rain and Blood and um, Hell Awaits and um, South of Heaven. So like the unholy trinity of like Slayer albums, <laughs> 15 bucks each. So I just snatched them up and kind of like walked off or whatever. So whenever I came back the next year um, and I was talking to the vinyl seller or whatever, and I was like, yeah, man, I, I bought these, uh, I bought these through Slayer records from you. And he's like, oh yeah, yeah. He's like, he's like, so what'd you think of the remasters? And I was like, what do you mean? He goes, oh, those were remastered. And I was like, no, no, they, no, they weren't. And he was like, what do you mean? I was like, those were original pressings, dude. <laughs> and he was all like, Oh my God. He was like, Oh my God, really? And I'm like, Yeah, man. That's, I was like, I'm not saying it to be a jerk or anything. I just like, you know, that's, <laughs> I mean, obviously I brought it up, so I'm a jerk, but like it was one of those like really awkward situations. And then, uh, so he's like, Yeah, uh, you know, I noticed that I noticed as I was kind of walking off, he was like telling people, He's like, Yeah, if you guys, uh, if you guys need, need help on anything, uh, just, uh, just let me take a look at the record and I'll, uh, I'll get you a good price on it. And he's telling that everybody that. So like, Oh, it just makes me wonder what else he had in there. He also <laughs> stole me. Uh, what was it? It was at the drive-ins acrobatic tenement for, mm. I think it was like 10 bucks. It's not like a super rare record, but uh, I was happy to, happy to add it to the collection for sure. Um, okay. So I got a few. Um, I remember I got, uh, again, hot topic clearance, uh, Manson, um, Antichrist superstar. Oh, you lucky uh, bastard. Like bucks <laughs> or something. Uh, that was 2009, but still, like that record, like things used to sit there for years. Like I remember turning, not not getting a copy of first pressing of Deja because, uh, like, the barcode had a rip or something. And I was trying to get like a couple bucks, and she was like, nah. And then a couple years later, that was like $200 record. I, I'm not yeah. sure now because they repressed it since, but they're probably still stupid high. Um, that brand new record that I mentioned before, that was that was in store and like a random thing. Uh, which was your favorite weapon first pressing, but that was again 2000 when it was when it was out. And uh, when I first started like trying to like right after college when I got really into vinyl, um, I got all the Zeppelin albums in like one shot for like 40 bucks from a used record store, which now they're like 30, 40 each. But it was like wow. a new place that just opened, which is still in business actually. But the guy just didn't really know what he was pricing and. Plus, this was again 2007, 2008. So the market was way different. But yeah, those are some things that came to mind. John's going to pull out something crazy, I'm sure. Um, I do have a couple that are like not crazy, but were some wore out. You're just like, wow, I haven't seen that. Um, I remember going to up north to Traverse City and finding a copy of Merde Noms, which at that point I hadn't seen one in a store. Uh, ever 
And wow. so I picked it up and mutual friend of Ross and I is uh, Austin Keen. I posted it. I was like, oh my God, I love this record. I can't, I didn't even know it was pressed, let alone that I would be able to find one. Cause at that point, I think it was like a good solid shit, almost 10 years old at that point. And it was like, Hey, if they got another copy, pick it up for me. And I was like, no, nah, they, they don't. It's just this one. And he was making some posters for me. And I was like, tell you what, um, I'll give you, I'll basically trade you the posters for this record. And he was like, deal. I was like, all right. And I was like real bummed. Like I went from being really elated that I had this record that I really loved to then being like, I guess I'm getting something for free. And, you know, I, I, at least I know this exists so I can try to find another copy down the road. And then we, we went back to that same record store, maybe like four months later and they had another copy. So I picked up that in 13th step, which uh, was kind of a like, wow, I can't believe I found that um, going to again, hot topic. Hot topic was a great place to find records. Um, Travis Iyer was the man. He yeah. Left- like 2015 or so yeah he was so great at his job and honestly i owe him a lot which i told him when he left which he was very humble and was like 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 it was all you do like but he he gave me a shot and really like like early on they took um an exclusive color which kind of minimized my risk and made me made me be able to you know move forward and not play out a ton of money not knowing if i was gonna ever get it back and they he really did me a solid but yeah he was great and curated a fucking fantastic catalog of shit for that five, seven year period or whatever he was working there. Yeah. We were in, God, I don't remember. We were, I think we were somewhere out actually might've been when I was down in the Carolinas actually. Uh, and I found a copy of the great misdirect for $7 on clearance. Oh, that's cool. And then when I needed to buy my car, I turned around and sold that thing for a shitload of money. <laughs> and then uh, another really great, uh, find at a hot topic was, uh, uh, head automaticus decadence and that was like one when i walked by i was like holy shit and then they happened to have a uh, deftones uh, around the fur as well so those are the two records we picked up there that's, that's yeah. cool does anyone have a, a favorite bootleg i know that's kind of uh something that's been keeping the industry afloat as well like the the random bootlegs especially in the hip-hop scene uh more so than i would say mainstream you know rock or anything like that uh, well going back to kanye uh my like top white whale record for at this point, over five years, um, is Kanye late orchestration, the Abbey mm-hmm. Road um, concert that he did. There's like a very rare German pressing or whatever, and they just made a bootleg of that that I was mm. to get, which generally I try not supporting the bootleg situation. But That's pretty much all my Kanye is, is all bootlegs. Yeah, yeah. Like, Jesus is one of my favorite records of all time. So, like, I got one of those. Most of my bootlegs are Kanye because, like, I've been trying to license graduation since day one of the fucking label. Since the first time I started working with Universal, that was one of the first things I brought up. They're basically like, if we're going to do it, we'll surely do it ourselves. I'm like, all right, we still haven't, though. <laughs> uh, I thought they did. Graduation is a bootleg. Is it? Then why? Even like selling it to FYE and stuff? No, sorry, sorry. You're right. Graduation. Never mind. Wrong yeah, record. The purple cover, right? With him yeah, that was a, that's the one I have is the purple one. Yeah, those are bootlegs, unfortunately. I mean, it's that's the one thing that's been interesting about at least like the hip hop bootlegs is that like they do them in such like crazy awesome colors that I'm yeah. like, why now that they're pressing stuff, it's like legitimately on their own. It's like, why won't they do that legitimately? To be honest, it's very hard to figure out the logic with a lot of these larger companies and why they do and don't do certain things at this point. Um, for Kanye, I would guess he probably has contract stipulations and either does or doesn't want things done. 
because like Dark Twisted Fantasy, like you said, was done really well and had a ton of attention to detail. So I don't know. <laughs> I wish I did. This is one of my. Uh, I bought Bridget these for I think her birthday one year. But what was crazy is like these didn't come out. Now they are. But the Beyonce Lemonade bootleg. Right. And nice. I'm so pissed because like I found someone who was selling it when uh, one of the sites that no longer acknowledges bootlegs and allows you to buy and sell them. Right. <laughs> um, they shall remain nameless. Um, but basically, I found someone who was selling one and they were like, oh, it's the, the rare pink one or whatever. And I was like, yo, I'll buy that get it and it's not it's like the lemonade colored one like the off yellowish kind of clear wow. variant and i was like dude this is not that and he goes oh i never said it was i was like yes it is and i sent him a screenshot of like my receipt of like from the store where it says it's this variant and i was like you took me for probably an extra 80 bucks off of that because it was like out of 150 pressed or something like that right. like you, you kind of fucked me on that <laughs> and the other one, which this was so hard to find, and I was so pissed when it came, and it was like not in the greatest condition, uh, unlike what it said it was, was the uh, the Drake and nothing was the same. Right. And the dude that I bought it from was like, yeah, like it's good condition, blah, 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 blah. And then I get it, and it's like bent to shit and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, dude, that fucking sucks for as much as I spent on it. But Everybody like that has is- different definitions of what good means. Well, yeah. he said it was mint. Oh, uh, well, mint's a different a different story. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I was not too stoked when I bought that, and that's how it showed up. But it was, again, like out of 125 or less than 150, I think, or less than 200. And the only way I could find it was finding people who had tagged it on Instagram and then started emailing or messaging them and being like, hey, do you have a copy for sale or do you have a link to a copy for sale? Like, I'm trying to find one. So that took me a solid like two to three weeks of messaging random people and being like, hey, do you have a copy for sale? Yeah, but those are two fun like bootlegs that I've kind of tracked down. Uh, maybe the uh, the Watch the Throne is one of my other ones that I got while I was out in Seattle. Yeah, I have a regular copy, and I got a bootleg because opening the real copy is a whole ordeal, and obviously it's fucking expensive. And did you get that big giant like thick like yeah, looking one? Every which way, and yeah. to get the records out, you have to like go like underneath, and like it's a whole fucking it's a whole thing. So I bought a bootleg to actually listen to. <laughs> that's cool plus it's a picture disc and it's just their face on both sides like doesn't mm-hmm. say side a b c or d so you just have to either look in the dead wax <laughs> or just figure it out and two sides look the same because it's only two faces and four sides i just don't understand why the fuck they would do that especially <laughs> if you're 125 dollars like right you make it on normal vinyl or like some sort of creativity right Dan, you got any bootlegs that you? Uh... Well, uh, I, I don't. I can't mention I found one. Hello, weights uh, bootlegs. <laughs> yeah, right. No, um, actually, yes, but that's okay. This is kind of weird. So this is not vinyl. This is cassette, mm. right? Uh, I cassettes. Yeah, just a little bit. Okay, just just a couple times. I've heard rumors. One or two, but I have a couple. Well, I I bought. Um, I bought a whole bunch of tapes from a guy at a garage sale one time. It was like 400 cassettes and I opened them all up and they all looked kind of the same. It was like a, um, it was okay. So like, imagine you've got like Metallica's kill them all. Right. And the cover artwork is like only half of the, uh, 
like like it's only like half of the of the picture right and then the other half is like this weird like white overlay so i got like 400 tapes like this and they're all polish bootlegs (laughs) right but it's like all of like really good stuff some like insane like like it's got like all the thrash metal from the 80s and 90s it's got you know like death angel metallica megadeth slayer overkill creator sodom like you name it uh it's all in there and then there's a whole bunch of early 90s death metal so like obituary and and morgoth and and like crematory and like all this stuff and like tons of cannibal corpse records like it's like everything it's a treasure trove but it's all put out by this label called mg uh in poland that just basically their entire business was putting out record or putting out bootleg cassette tapes so like they basically would just make a copy and then mass manufacture uh that and then uh and then that was uh that was how they did their business. And so I've got all these tapes or whatever. I can't ever do anything with them. So I just listen to them and I hate to say it, but the quality is like incredible for what it is. <laughs> Some of them were still sealed. The guy's like, yeah, my son was like really into like metal and stuff. So <laughs> this, the, this guy's son must've like just sat there for years, you know, importing Polish bootlegs. It's just the weirdest thing. Speaking like, of bootlegs, I was tagged in, uh, and, and Harvard, Somebody made uh, Harvard eight tracks. Oh wow! Oh cool. So and th- so he tagged he tagged me in them, and oh, then wow. I was like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> and that, like it actually has the music on there. I don't Does know, it really? Supposedly, like he played me a video of him playing on his eight track player. I don't have one, obviously. Yeah. How wow. how do you make an eight track? Like what what? Not sure. Uh, when we do, we're, we're planning on doing a ten year anniversary of. Uh, uh, from the birdcage. Yeah. So when we do that, I might do a small run of eight tracks. <laughs> yeah, I guess I can. And I don't know. It's a really interesting little. I don't know. This kind of looks cool. Emo cow records. Mm. But uh, yeah. So the inevitable and I is on two separate eight tracks. Then I would assume. Um, no, or are those just different track. variants. That's one eight track. I don't know. Oh well, you had the the that, and then you had a red one. So I thought maybe there. The like, red one is the uh, interpretations EP. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah, it's it's all the records. It's including the including the seven inch, which I don't really know why. That's wild. Like that. that's just wild. I don't know. Wow. I mean, how do you find? I mean, you have to find like a plant or something, right? Like I don't. Uh, the, the, I think it's just the guy who uh, <laughs> he buys blank ones and dubs them or something like these are colored also like wow realized blue the interpretation is red i don't know it's that's wild so though and <laughs> something i never thought i'd fucking see that's for damn sure i, I want to get an a-track player <laughs> i guess that's an interesting question are you surprised all these years later how rabid of the fandom of the harvard stuff is still yeah no it's very <laughs> um <laughs> at the worst time honestly like they were finally on the cusp of getting where we at least somewhere like getting notoriety they just got off that say anything tour which yep. was their first like whatever thousand cap 500 to a thousand cap room yeah and you know as you know they were fucking great live and i think that was a lot of the key is that they're a weird band but like either you got them or you didn't and if you saw them live the more people that were exposed to the crazy show they'd recruit people and they just really needed to get 
front of people's eyes and ears, I guess. And um, so, yeah, um, I don't really know. I'm upset that it didn't happen when it should have happened. And I'm, it's very gratifying the fact that, like, you know, I took literally all the money I had in the world and threw it into this band and then into doing 500 copies of, of Juliana Theory on vinyl. So the fact that I was also very fortunate that Equivision got involved, and I'm well aware of that. It was a lot of that definitely helped in getting them notoriety. But yeah, um, I don't know. Part of me wants to say that I expect them to be bigger, and part of them, part of me, I don't know. It's, it goes both ways. It's really hard to say. One of my last story, like Harvard stories, I'll tell, and then we'll kind of move on to the subsidiary label you started is. Uh, <laughs> So I, the first show that I had booked them on, they were staying with me and I remember, you know, they were staying, I think they stayed like two days with us and, uh, someone was going through my records and, uh, cause it was at Probably. that point, um, Lee was the final guy, I would assume it was Lee. Well, so the, here's the fun thing. So uh, it was the, God, who, how, how did this happen? Um, so it was, yeah, it was the. First time I brought them through, and it was like the uh, Sugar Glider, them, and uh, Junior Astronomers. Yeah, that's, and that's the most Harvard tour I could imagine. That's yeah, the that they talk about constantly. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember Jason being mad that I put Junior Astronomers on first because uh, he was like, "Oh, I really like them," and I was like, "Yeah, but I really like Sugar Glider, <laughs> so <laughs> I'm putting them on where I want them to be." Um, but I remember them all staying and i remember the guys you know playing some of the records and someone was like oh the, you have this let live record uh fake history and i was like yeah and he goes oh do you like that band and i was like yep they're really good and they're like yeah we just uh, got offered a tour with them and i was like oh are, are you doing it and they're like yeah we're, we're gonna do it it's not been announced we're still kind of getting all the routing and all that stuff figured out and so obviously uh in contact with the dudes and like there was a date that was announced in uh ohio and it was supposed to be on like near like ohio state's campus or something like that and we were planning on going because it was like a weekend and i kept telling jason i was like i can't find any info on this venue i can't find links to the tickets like i, I are you sure this is a real place like <laughs> really weird i can't find any information so i'm hitting him up for like weeks about this and he's like yeah it's it seems legit like i don't know like whatever though you guys are good like we'll guest list you and your wife like not a big deal so house show getting there. Okay. So <laughs> the night before the show, Jason hits me up and he's like, so apparently that venue went under. It does not exist. We need something in the area. Can we play your basement? This is a package tour of night versus let live and Harvard. And wow. I was like, absolutely. You guys can do it. Like, I, I can't guarantee you anything, but whatever we can make, like I'll absolutely throw back to you guys. You guys are more than welcome to stay here as well. Um, even if you want to come here the night before, like not a big deal. Like we'll, we'll do whatever we can to make this show like happen. And it was like, okay, cool. I'll get back to you as soon as like, we know what's going on. We're looking at a couple of different other options. So then it turns into, Hey man, like thanks for, you know, offering your spot. Like uh, we found a place uh, outside of Chicago. We're going to go there though. It's like a tiny like pub. I was like, all right. And he goes, so if you guys still want to come out though, like still got you all this kind of stuff. And I had already seen let live before, but I'd never seen night versus. And I remember getting there and because of it being a last minute, like like completely in a different state and like all this kind of stuff, like it was rather sparsely attended. 
And I just remember night versus going on and being like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> and their drummer, Eric or Eric, however you pronounce his name, obviously, um, just doing fucking jumping all over his drum kit, hanging from the shit above his drum kit, doing flips and all this stuff. And the rest of the band just tearing shit up. And then you're like, wow, that was something. And then I went to go like figuring they'd have vinyl or something. And they had like a t-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> and come to find out, obviously it's Doug from the sleeping and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and Harvard went on. That was rad. Uh, and let live went on and just basically destroyed the whole fucking place. Like, and everything around them. But it was so weird because like they had a hard deadline because like a weird like nightclub night kind of thing was coming after them. Right. So then you had a completely different set of people coming in. And yeah. I just remember Jason getting really drunk on wine. <laughs> yeah. And uh I don't know. It was just it was a very surreal like 24 hours or so of just being like, I think this I think we're gonna have let live in my basement. Yeah. <laughs> to then being like, all right, we're going to Chicago. That tour <laughs> is one of my biggest show regrets, actually. I didn't know who Let Live was at the time. Oh man. And uh the, the New York date was in like an Elks Lodge, like a literal mm. Elks Lodge where like downstairs was like the club lounge with like games and like a little bar and upstairs was like literal fucking whatever. Mm. Uh, and we watched Harvard and me and my girlfriend at the time just were like, eh, whatever, let's go. And mm. then like a couple months later, I was like, I saw videos of this band fucking, he's a fucking maniac. <laughs> and then like that show would have been probably very memorable. I remember as we were walking out, people were wearing back patches. And I was like, who the fuck is this band? <laughs> I really love this band. And that should have been an indication that like, I should probably stick around. Yeah, it was really weird. The, my introduction to Let Live was seeing them open on the Times of Grace Under Oath tour. And Jason jumping into a box. I th- It was something, either a box or garbage can. And basically he jumped into the crowd in it and then basically drop kicked me. Nice. And but I didn't know it was coming, so I was like, "What the fuck?" And I turned around, and then here's this dude screaming in this thing. And I was a like, "Random box on the stage." Uh, I don't know. It's it's almost like if you uh, whatever. If you've ever seen him, you're just like, "Where do you find these things to to climb on and jump off of and get into?" <laughs> yeah, um, I, think, I think when I first saw them was that Warp Tour show. Mm. And oh, when he went under the stage or something. Yeah, there was like a whole episode of like Brody's trying to control him, basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah good luck yeah that's a band that i'm almost harvard-esque where i you know i'm surprised they didn't get bigger uh yeah well uh fever 333 is getting pretty big and that's, i feel like it's manufactured though yeah personally i mean you you have feldman and barker kind of going to bat for you helping right. you out and then a, a bigger machine pushing it it doesn't feel as or and as much as they do things in a very organic way i feel like it's very unorganic compared to let live right personally yeah here's a here's another maybe fun tangent on on records what's something what is a record that you you bought after seeing a band that you then realize like holy shit this band's actually bigger than i thought they were at the time like a band that got bigger later on i bought the record at a show you're saying yeah um Oh, uh, well, well, granted, I was and still go to a decent amount of shows, but I don't really buy vinyl at shows, honestly, that much just because oh, really? usually shows like I'm from Long Island, so I have to take the train and like, I don't know, 
I usually don't, unless it's, a, unless it's like a tour variant or something or something that I know I can only get at that show or whatever. I generally don't buy vinyl at shows so much. I'm trying to think of something though. You have the one, I, the one I'll tell talk about. Huh? I said you have the the one that I was gonna bring up. Which? <laughs> My sixty-eight. Uh right. I went to go see Chiodos uh when they were doing when they came back and were doing that run uh after releasing whatever that record was. I can't remember what it's called. Um and sixty I had just seen the Chariots Farewell Tour like maybe like four months before at the same venue, and then no one's hanging out, like Josh is hanging out at merch, and I'm like, hey, okay, like this is cool. I, I dug this. And then like they had a seven inch and I was like, like no one seemed to give a shit. I don't think every time I've seen 68, I don't think people get it. Like yeah, you, just, you just get a lot of this. That first record is my favorite new music, like album of the last, I would say five. Well, at this point it's maybe a little older than five years old, but within the last decade, that's easily top three, if not maybe number one. Like mm-hmm. I fucking love that record. Yeah. I didn't really like the second one that much, oddly, but I but love yeah. it first record so much i remember buying that it was numbered it had elvis on it and it was yeah. like you know the whole playoff of the 68 comeback special thing and i was like that's cool and then i was like hey man do you mind signing this and he's like yeah and then like i think he was wanting to talk more or whatever and i was like all right well see you later bye and then there's just a, a sad josh sitting at merch where no one's buying any of his stuff because it's too weird i think for people to understand <laughs> and uh then really? is that weird i just don't i don't like because in my opinion, it's a mix of like white stripes meets Nirvana, I guess. Yeah, a little bit. And that said, like, I don't know, like the two member thing at that point, like, was relatively popular. I don't know, like, Black Keys and whatever. White stripes, granted, white stripes is 15 years before that, but. <laughs> I mean, I can tell you why. Because no one likes working with Josh. Well, besides that, I don't know if that's true or not. I can't verify that. But uh, I, I will say that if you're a hardcore fan of a band like The Chariot, you're, you're just it's hard. Yeah, it's it's hard to make that transition from. Yeah, we just want to put out some like really cool rock stuff and it's going to be fun and you're, you're not going to be expecting it. Whereas I think, you know, Chariot fans were more just like, oh, it's Josh. It's going to be crazy. And it is that but it's not the type of crazy that maybe they were expecting. And so I think a lot of those, especially I think, I think they're gaining traction now, but I think those early 68 tours, those early 68 shows, people were just kind of checking it out to see what was, what it was like, you know, is this, is this going to be just like what we're expecting or not? And I think the problem with somebody like Josh is that you you just really never know what that dude's going to do next. And, um, and I think he is that way too. In that you know, I think the dude's never put out the expected project, the expected product, you know. <laughs> and that's a double-edged sword because years later, everybody's is like, "Oh, you're such a genius! I can't believe you did this." But whenever they first start out, it's like, "Oh, why are you doing this?" <laughs> I put out his acoustic, the uh, uh, what's the name of the record? Um, Thorn by name, I think. By any other name? Yeah. Yeah. At one point, we almost put that out, and then it just kind of fell through and never happened. But yeah, Josh is a talented dude. Yeah. Although I don't think anyone cares about that record either, unfortunately. No, I've got, I've got it. I've got it's a CD version. It has a very low amount of plays on Spotify. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> that would exist. 
I think that was too far in the soft direction. I think 68 was would have is, is a better kind of transition into something like that. Whereas at that time he was still full on chariot. Right. You know, so to drop something like that, I know that's what he wanted to do. Cause I remember I was emailing him way back in the day about the stuff like, and he's like, he's like, Oh, I'm about to put out something really, really, really cool. And then he put out the, you know, Rose by any other name. And uh, I was like, he, cause he, cause I ordered it. And then he actually emailed me back after it got messaged. Already got sent to me, and he was like, "So what do you think?" <laughs> and I was like, "You're a cool dude, Josh." And that's all. <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> how it gets on if he's emailing everybody who bought a copy, being like, "What'd you think?" Yeah, that means it must have been like me and like eight, maybe eight other people that bought it. Yeah, <laughs> I think I still have the bumper sticker on one of my guitars, or the the actual sticker on one of my guitars, but I wanted to like it. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, that happens sometimes purchase justification it's a real thing <laughs> dan do you have something that you were uh surprised that you know became bigger like they got bigger after you bought the record yeah probably um and they got bigger after i bought it and this is on, it isn't on vinyl but it's um no nodes of uh, how do you pronounce their name nodes of ranvier or nodes of ranvier i don't know there's actually an interview on another podcast that they just did so i'll listen to it and find out how they say it but anyway um i saw them i thought that their show was killer i bought their cd and then like they blew up like eight days later because <laughs> every, because everybody did but i did they saw them they you know they saw them live and they're like oh my god this band's amazing and uh yeah they got they got really 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 big loved their first two records and then uh the other two were well, they just weren't the same, and uh, you know. But yeah, I was super, super, yeah, super surprised at how big that band got. <laughs> yeah, for me, thinking about it, it's not a band that I saw live. That I got the vinyl, but Portugal the Man I've been into since mm. Give Up the Ghost uh, broke up, and the fact wasn't it Anatomy of the Ghost? Huh? Wasn't uh, it Anatomy of the Ghost? Sorry, no. I uh, listen to Dewey's podcast, so I hear those two band names so often now, and. Um, I, I had their entire catalog from, you know, whatever, 2010 when everything was and on. And the fact that they became what they became is still very crazy to me. Like, granted, like, Harvard is very different than them, but, like, they were on the path with Equal Vision. And, like, all those bands that got big went through Equal Vision. And that's what really upsets me is, like, as we said before, like, they broke up when they were finally getting the notoriety and starting to get on tours and starting to get something. And like, they were on the road of, you know, the bands that are granted. They're not like Hohe and they're not like, like they aren't exactly like these bands, but they're weird and undefinable and great live. And all these bands went through the exact same road. And if granted Harvard would have had to evolve a lot and get a lot poppier, but like, who, who knows what would have happened? Who would have imagined Portugal, the man would have been in fucking the supermarket. Like I hear that song everywhere. Yeah. And I'm just like, it's crazy that this band reached a level like this. I would have never picked them ever to do that. Speaking of 68, I was just reminded of when I saw 68 play a random place here in Michigan and this band Idle Hands uh, opened for them. And I, the whole time I was watching, I was like, man, this is like Harvard, kind of like just a little bit different. And I bought the vinyl, was talking to the band dudes and <laughs> the guy was like, Oh man, yeah, Harvard. They were really great. The label said that basically we're taking over for the spot they left as far as the sound. <laughs> and he goes, and then the funny thing is, like, I think maybe a month or two later they broke up. <laughs> and I was like, you did, you did actually slip right in and take over for them. You came, you had a promising sound and a great record, and then you left. <laughs> wow. 
And then the dude messaged me on Instagram and said, I see you're a fan of this band. And I was like, I don't like that band on any of the socials. So I don't know how you found that. Uh, <laughs> wow. Um, so enjoy the, enjoy the tunes. Um, you know, obviously it's kind of turned into a little bit of like, a, uh, it, it's kind of weird. Cause I don't necessarily, it's kind of hard to define. Cause like you do soundtracks, like, you know, you've done uh was it not another team movie you did a while back? Uh, yeah, which surprisingly did not do very well. <laughs> um, it's very hard to to predict these things and even when you think like oh like every, like every manson record's out of press and goes for a ton of money origin blue orgy blue monday's never been on vinyl good charlotte all the stuff is out of press phantom plant like like yeah you, like like it's such an incredible plus they're all soundtracks exclusive tracks like covers of amazing songs like I still, that's one of the few ones that I, I can't fucking figure it out. Like, we made a thousand copies and it's been three, four years later. Like, you think you sell a thousand copies in an afternoon or something like that. <laughs> it's funny because we were actually uh, a couple weeks ago when we did our top five new metal uh, countdown with Andrew from the Ghost Inside. At the very end, we're, uh, we segued and we're like, what are your favorite like new metal soundtracks? And I almost threw in Not Another Team Movie just because of some of the, some of the band. There's a lot of good metal soundtracks. Yeah. So when are you going to put out the Freddy versus Jason soundtrack on vinyl for us? Uh, Do it. <laughs> or Queen of the Damned, an official pressing of it. Not sure what label that one's on. I can look into it, although the both Jason and Freddy stuff is, is for the most part, spoken for by various other labels. That scores, generally. Mm. But, uh, yeah, I guess leading into the enjoy the tune shit. Um, like I said two minutes ago, like it's very hard to predict these things. And, uh, the first enjoy the tunes thing. Well, the reason it kind of happened was, um, I found a Ren and Stimpy seven inch on Instagram originally. And I was like, Oh, that's fucking cool. Like, I wonder if anything else like this exists. And besides the seven inch, not much did. And then I saw that there was a Nick tunes, best of Nick tunes album that had like everything I grew up listening to or mm-hmm. grew up watching, uh, essentially. Um, and it was owned by a company I was already working with. So I hit them up and basically at that point I made the sub label because I thought I was going to get laughed at for putting out. <laughs> Cause at the time there was no context of really anything. Soundtracks weren't really a thing. I remember, I remember specifically hot topic telling me, I don't know, 2012, 13, like we don't want compilations. We don't want soundtracks. Like nobody fucking wants a compilation on vinyl and, at the time, I agreed with him. Like, you could just, you know, make a mixtape on fucking iTunes or whatever. Like, if you want to make a compilation, you can make your own mixtape at this point. Although, I get it's a lot different. There are a lot more of a collectible nostalgia kind of situation in general. But at the time, I remember specifically how topic being like, like we don't want that shit. Um, hmm. But yeah, um, at the time, there really wasn't too many soundtracks out, especially by you know the labels that I was uh, that were that was putting out similar kind of whatever pop punk emo stuff and um the only thing that was similar was a um my little pony release and (laughs) i always associated that label afterwards with like oh that's the guys who put out my little pony even though they did like the walking dead and breaking bad and a ton of other stuff but like i didn't want to be known as like oh like like that those are dudes who did the nicktoons if it failed so i kind of made a label as a fail safe that like that wasn't me. That was. It's <laughs> <laughs> funny. Um, and then, ironically, it, it was the opposite. It, it sold out 
really quickly and did really well. And then I just kind of ran with it from there. And now we're 25, 27 releases into Enjoy the Tunes, which is pretty crazy. All sorts of, I guess the definition of it is family friendly soundtracks. Yeah. So anything that is a soundtrack that isn't gory, I guess, or horror y or whatever. I'm waiting for a salute your shorts and or are you afraid of the dark soundtrack? Are you afraid Ooh. of the and that we've been working on for a long time? It's fucking really awesome. that would be cool. You said it's yeah. coming? Well um, yeah. not, not officially or not definitely. We've been working on a lot of different so the, the issue with a lot of this stuff is it's never been released on any format before. So it's really complicated. First finding the composers to see if there are masters and then we have to get them remastered. We have to get things approved. We have, we have to even see if they're, you know, usable and how much there is to see if it's even, you know, or at least full of material kind of stuff. Like the Hey Arnold release that we just did like a two, three year process. Cause it's never been released before. So we had a, you know, choose a track listing, then get it completely. Uh, it was mixed for TV, which a lot of the stuff mixed for TV are, you know, sound effects and voices are high and music is generally low. So that's a whole ordeal to figure that out. So, mm. you know, it gets complicated, especially if something hasn't been released before, it gets complicated to say the least. Man, I'm going to have to snatch up a, are you afraid of the dark? If that drops and you're going to have to do like a weird thing. smells like campfire or comes with like fucking dust or something. It's a bag of dust. That's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, didn't they make a movie out of that recently? Um, I think they made something. I don't know if they rebooted or a new series or something. And they might have rebooted the series, or maybe they did like a made-for-TV movie. They did a Goosebumps movie with like Jack Black and shit. Goosebumps. Yeah, <laughs> they did. Uh, they did. Well, I know they they did a movie of Legends of the Hidden Temple. Yeah, uh, they had done that. Um, but I think that was. I only saw the trailer for it i don't even know if it came out but um it looked pretty bad uh, yeah, i was like i don't understand what this even is yeah like how do you turn a game show i mean they're re- rebooting or maybe they did reboot i don't pay attention to these things i think they tried to re- redoing dora is it as yeah, like yeah, I, it, it, I don't know if that came out or not but uh redoing lots of stuff uh yeah. buttheads coming back daria is coming back uh ran and stimpy is coming back they announced a couple weeks ago yeah lots of shit but, uh, Never underestimate the uh, the power of nostalgia, and I think some of that is largely responsible for the boom in vinyl yeah. as well. Just like because we all kind of reached a point where we kind of felt like we lost our childhoods and just had to move on, and now as adults, now that we actually have money to spend on things, it's like, yeah, dude, I'll buy a "Are You Afraid of the Dark" soundtrack on vinyl. You know what I mean? Like how, how nostalgic is that? Even though like <laughs> if you really look at if you really look at the 90s, nobody wanted to have anything to do with a vinyl record, you know, yeah. in the 90s, but we don't care. We're we're making our own our own history. Yeah, it's more, you know, it's it's a collectible. Like it's a nice mm-hmm. like as long as it's high quality and like it's a nice thing to, you know, look at and fucking reminisce and obviously listen to. And you know, the music's never been released and, you know, it always triggers memories and like, hey, Arnold, like, has a very passionate fan base, and, like, people have been waiting for that soundtrack for apparently a long time. Like, people were saying, <laughs> like, we've been waiting 15, 20 years for this, like, whatever. And, like, a lot of these songs are mean a lot to people, and I, I can't believe, like, people had sent very heartfelt messages, both emails and Instagram messages, when they got the records. It was, 
it's nice, you know, spending two, three years on this shit, having people, you know, appreciate it and you know, really enjoy it. It's nice. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm a, uh, I think I'm the, the era of music I'm really looking forward to somebody starting to put out, uh, to put it on vinyl is like a lot of the new metal stuff. Like I'm surprised a lot of it does not exist. The music on vinyl has done a lot of it. Um, a lot of it, like we've attempted and either we aren't able to get clearance for, or like Papa Roach, for example, like that's like, I love Infest. That's I, like, that's like one of my guilty pleasure records. No, it's not really guilty pleasure. It's a fucking great record. But uh, like for years, like I pitched out the hot topic when I was working with them and they're like, nobody wants this. I'm like, I have <laughs> fucking like 10 million CDs. Like nobody wants this. You can't sell a thousand copies on vinyl. It sold fucking so many CDs. And like every retailer was like, nope. <laughs> so I think that's a lot of it that the labels are going to the stores being like, if we make whatever Godsmack on vinyl, you're down on that. And they're like, nope. <laughs> that's weird too. Cause like they have to notice there's been an increase in streams on that stuff ever i mean everybody at least for the past two years has been sort of going back to new metal you know yeah. in the sense of like you know there's new bands popping up that are trying to sound like the the, the 90s know, bands and sales, honestly like the end of like going back to new metal soundtracks the end of day soundtrack was done recently mm. and yeah like, i figured that would do well like it has a really good track list and has a guns and roses unreleased song or whatever exclusive song on it yeah and like 2,000 copies on color and like you can still get them. They're like $12 on eBay. And that's like an import, which is usually like 35, 40. Yeah. So I don't know. It's hard to really like stain that we've been like trying to do for a long time. Yes. Dysfunction needs to be pressed on vinyl. Yeah. And needs like, to. Combination of like, they don't really want us to do it and we aren't getting clearance for it. Well, I guess I don't know if they want us to do it or not, but we aren't getting cleared. So Someone doesn't want us to do it. <laughs> well, what's weird is like I just saw that someone like because I keep getting sponsored ads for this on occasion where it's like the illusion of progress is pressed and they're like first time on vinyl. I'm like, I don't want that. Give me dysfunction. Give me break the cycle. Right. Hell, even give me like 14 shades of gray. Like I'll take those all day long or even the, the last one they put out. But it's like the fact that dysfunction isn't on vinyl at this point. It's like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. Or even, I mean, even throw like a break the cycle or something like out there, which you know will sell tons of copies. Yeah, like break the cycle had like huge singles on it. I remember, like, I remember that song being like the song of the fucking summer, whatever year that was. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, I'll be here a while, or it's been a while. It's been a while, while. yeah. Yeah. And then you had outside uh, from the, like, I, I know Family Values has been pressed, like, originally, which I found those a little couple years ago. And I was like, wow, really? Like, yeah, I have, I have vinyl. Um, but like, what would be cool is if someone were to press the uh, Family Values two thousand one because I don't think that ever got a pressing. Is that the one yeah. with the baby on it? What was that? Is that the one with the baby on the cover? No, that was ninety nine. Ninety eight was the one with Corn Ice Cube and all them. Ninety eight, ninety nine was a uh, Limp Biscuit, Method Man, Red Man, Primus, and all them. Two thousand one was like a Trey U Corn. A lot of those tours, like Woodstock ninety nine, hasn't been fucking pressed, and like I'm sure there's a reason why and. Even I'm sure that's probably so hard to do with all the legalities of all the different bands on all the different labels. Yeah. But like, generally speaking, these contracts are done like in perpetuity for every format. So like it's not like they have to go back to whoever and resign a contract for 2000 copies or whatever. Like it doesn't generally work like that. Granted, every deal is different. And sometimes that's why we get declined for shit. Cause there's some weird caveat somewhere, but 
Out of curiosity, is there such do sunset clauses exist on stuff like that? What's a sunset clause? Sorry. <laughs> so sunset clause, like on, uh, we'll just say like the Drake record or whatever, for example, since I pulled that up, um, there might be a sunset clause, like in 15 years, uh, the label no longer owns it. It then um, is up for every label is different. Every deal is different, both for us licensing and the deals that were signed initially. That's why a lot of the stuff takes years upon years of clearance because they have to dig up a contract and go, go legal and see if there's some sort of weird stipulation that they made that either like some artists have like they need to sign off on any third party licensing situation. So like we've been declined for stuff because of that or mm-hmm. whatever, just because simply they don't want anyone outside the label doing it or outside the <laughs> whatever the home label. So can we jump into some conspiracy theories here uh, real quick? So, and I don't know anything about this, so I, you guys might have to fill the fill the uh, blanks in a little bit. This is the best way to start a conspiracy theory. I don't know anything <laughs> about this, but I'm going to run my mouth anyway. Um, apparently, wasn't there like a fire where like a whole bunch of master recordings were yep. destroyed? And, and it was too much, like it was too, to an extent that was like not what was reported. Like there's actually tons and tons of stuff that either they just can't find or um or or whatever uh and i i do wonder if sometimes that is what is blocking some of these releases where they just can't get a master for it uh that's universal supposedly and um no one really knows except for the people on the inside what what wasn't damaged and um i don't know you'd like to think things are backed up at least one way or another be it digitally or whatever right yeah. 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 I mean, a thing. <laughs> it's not like a MySpace though, where they lost all their shit and then apparently were able to recover about a quarter of it. Dude, that's a treasure trove. Some of that MySpace stuff. Absolutely. Ooh. That's why when you put out that uh, was it the Dave uh, Malio stuff? Yeah. It was like the pseudo like MySpace collection or whatever. Where just, I, <laughs> that yeah. was interesting. Yeah. Unfortunately, that was another one of those. Like, I think people want this and people did not seem to want it. Not for nothing. I didn't really. I mean, it seemed like he was stoked on, but at the same time, it, I don't know, just didn't seem like he pushed it a whole lot either. Well, he doesn't really have much of a social media following, and he's the opposite in terms of right place, right time. He was in the right place at the wrong time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, he has a whole podcast. Like, he has a podcast and he has like a mini series in the podcast kind of going through his journey in the music industry which is how this all happened honestly i stumbled upon the podcast and he was telling his whole story through his eyes and played a bunch of these demos and they're fucking good and i was like yo you want to put out these put out this record finally and kind of figure something out um but he signed to drive through right as they were falling apart and basically the ep came out right when everything people were Whatever they they stopped signing bands essentially and stopped putting anything out, so he was right at the tail end. And he, I don't know if he said it in, yeah, I think it was in his podcast, but he could have signed a few by ramen. But yeah. at the time, few by ramen, this was before take take this to your grave came out, maybe right when it came out, and all they had yeah. was like line. And like a year later, they would have you know Paramore and Fallout Boy and Panic a year or two after that, and like Less Heroes. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, he just kind of, unfortunately, I don't blame him. I would have made the same fucking decision. I was 
a hardcore drive through fanboy and that the hundred percent if I was between fuel by ramen and drive through in whatever year that was, two thousand three, I wanna say. Yeah, I think that's what he said. Yeah, it was two thousand three. So at that point also like drive through just signed a distribution deal with MCA Geffen famously and they kind of stopped pushing their artists because any artist could be taken by MCA Geffen and right. want to get their artist taken and it became a whole thing. So it was a fine line. So the, I don't even think they put out Malolo's EP to buy. I think it was part of the free thing. Because for a while they were putting out free EPs as like a loophole from what I gather, but I don't know. I'm not going to speak definitively because I don't really fully know. Right. <laughs> what is kind of as we start wrapping up, what is, uh, I guess we'll go with two part. What is your white whale record that you're after for everybody? And what is your most prized possession record? Uh, I'm after the press. What was that? But I'm after like to release on the label or I'm after personally. Why don't we do both? Um, <laughs> After to release on the label, um, graduation. <laughs> there's, there's things that we're still working on that like have been a long time in the works that I can't talk about or whatever, and things that we've been trying to get clearance for that aren't a no for a long time. Um, but as I've stated in the past, that I know is coming out on another label. Uh, that thing you do is one of my favorite movies, mm. and being a soundtrack label now and whatever like those songs are fucking incredible and like i have the seven inch which is very very hard to get now that was like something i got early on that now goes for like a hundred plus dollars um so that's definitely if i could release anything and there is no legal stipulations that's definitely always one of the few things that comes to mind mondo will be doing that soon though this year hopefully maybe next year at this point i know they're waiting on the hanks to give them some stuff <laughs> nice what's uh, uh... And as far as like your actual collection, um, I have an unreleased Glassjaw test pressing for an album that was supposed to come out on Record Store Day. Uh, like the Elmark EP was supposed to be a Record Store Day uh, release one year that it got canceled. I don't know why. I think the band wasn't cool with it, but I don't know that for a fact. Hmm. But there's a handful of test pressings that are floating around that people have that I got one off eBay at one point, but that's being there, one of my favorite bands and I fucking love those songs. Um, yeah. So that's off the top of my head, probably up there for sure. Jay-Z unplugged also is, is oh, a have that that one. love that record and it's really hard to find now. And I'm very, very glad that I got that when I did. Did they ever, I, is I it press that, which would never happen. Is that a? I only have a bootleg of that. I don't think I've ever seen a real pressing of that. It's a real pressing of it. It's it's a single. The bootleg's a double, right? Yep. Yeah, the yeah. original is a single. I think it's German only, maybe. Yeah, mm. I should have gotten the bootleg. I regret not getting a bootleg to listen to because I listened to that record a decent amount, and there's a couple skips in it already. So I don't want to listen to it more, but I <laughs> do want to, listen to it more. So <laughs> yeah, that might be one of my favorite unplugs ever. Oh yeah, that is my favorite unplugged, which is ironic considering it's hip hop. No, I mean that's the thing is like the Roots are one of my favorite bands. Like I would love to see a Roots unplugged. Oh yeah, um, they have this. I mean that's that's probably other than Kanye and Jay Z and Drake. Uh, that's probably the other band that I have the most of is is the Roots. I have most everything on vinyl. Nice. Yeah, I, I just got the vinyl me please reissue of uh, Chronology. Yeah. Yep. Same. 
done really nicely. Yeah, it is. It's kind of a pain in the ass to get out of the packaging and do all that shit, but it's really nice. It's really well done. That was kind of for a while. That was one of my last white whales where I was like, I really need to like get this uh, to kind of complete my set. But um, I got that now. So now it's on to some other stuff. Dan, what, what about you? What is uh, what is the white whale record that you're, you still need to get? And what is uh, your most prized uh, record in your collection? Uh, well, the white whale, um, is probably the, uh, the almighty Norma Jean box set, which was, uh, I mean, it's available. It still popped up on eBay every now and again, but like, you know, I have, you know, mortgage to pay. Uh, so it's, it's typically not in my price range. Um, and it's used. I always wanted a new, you know, like a new on, 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 unmessed with unplayed version because it's the first four norma Jean records and as of right now i don't think any of them have been repressed no one of them has oh god the aftermath is repressed i've got that um so i mean i'd be comfortable with like making it myself but they had like they had like way better like they had alternate artwork for every for every record and all that so it was just something that i really 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 wanted um but unfortunately could not get the last Norma Jean vinyl I tried to buy uh, sold out in three hours. So I didn't get that one either. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's always, I, I've always been kind of swinging and missing on that band. But um, as far as my most prized record that I have, probably um, I have a, I have the, it's a first press of black Sabbath self-titled black Sabbath. Um, wow. And it's, it's original press and it's actually still sealed. Um, but you know, I'm, I'll never open it to verify, but, um, <laughs> but it's, it's cool. Vanilla inside of it. <laughs> it's, it's got it. It's got an old, um, God, I can't even remember what name of the, what the name of the record store was. It was like some mom and pop store and it was sold for like $9 or something. It's still got the price sticker on it and everything. And it, it's, it's, it's the actual like real deal. Um, and it's actually there's a, there's a sticker on it that just says scary. <laughs> so like they didn't know because you know I mean it's self titled Black Sabbath so it had to have been old enough to where they didn't have a heavy metal section, right, you know, yeah. to, to put it in. So yeah. Also another thing uh, that comes to mind, which I post every once in a while on Instagram, like every few years, I have a seven inch that was technically Def Jam's first release. It was Rick Rubin's like art punk rock band when he was in nyu oh cool they're made from like like a lunch bag that they like folded over with like a taped on taped on a dress with his dorm on it it's fun <laughs> and the, the labels like hand inscribed like rick rubin's like one of my fucking heroes so like, that's cool like i got that when i found out it existed maybe like 2010 they don't go for that much because people don't know they well they go for a decent amount but not like hundreds because people don't know they exist yeah that's cool considering it was probably handmade by him or hopefully him. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think my white whale currently, and I'm hoping for a repress because everything I found of this record, they're like just not in good condition and they're going for hundreds. And uh, it's like, I'm not paying that kind of money for a shit ass record um, is the Aaliyah self-titled record. Like the, the last one. Um I'm still waiting for her uncle. Supposedly uh, her birthday, which happened already was supposed to see all of her catalog be released on uh, all the platforms. But for whatever reason, that has not happened. Um, so you can only hear uh, AJ, nothing but a number uh, currently on anything, but uh, on a major, I assume, right? 
What the self-titled? Yeah, I think it was on. I keep wanting to say Art Artista, but I know that wasn't it. I think it's. I think it was like Columbia or something like that. Yeah, like it's weird. Like a major label wouldn't have a major artist, even though they are on her bigger records. I don't know. Well, I mean, like that's the thing, though, is like you know, between one in a million and uh, the self-titled, those go for so fucking much. But when you can find them on Discogs, it's like good luck finding one that's not graded at like average or fair. Unfortunately, everything that came out back then, hip hop wise, like people just kept them in crates and shit. So yeah, like, yep. hands are beat up. So find like hip hop rap stuff from around that time that isn't beat up jackets. So I'm uh, unfortunately not really willing to drop almost three hundred dollars for for a beat to shit looking copy of that. Outfitters doesn't release that. Like they've been doing a lot of like that era pop stuff, and that seems like something that they would do. I mean, there's obviously demand. Like I go to YouTube to listen to that record all the time, and you look at the comments, and there are comments that are from like days weeks ago that are like who's still coming here in 2020 listening to this and it's like it's so fucking good it still sounds relevant and i'd imagine like getting it like because i have i don't typically buy singles but because of Aaliyah's catalog not being typically ready of readily available as a full like buy this record and i can get everything so i've been buying a lot of the singles uh for rather cheap and they're in decent condition you know, coming from overseas for like, you know, eight, nine dollars and, you know, getting like the like it's kind of kind of cool to hear like the acapella. The, yeah, you know, I have a lot of 12 maxi singles of random like bad boy fucking stuff. And like, I, lo- I, I, I like that shit a lot. Like the random I have a, a uh, Nine Inch Nails remix of like Puff Daddy and Biggie song. That's fucking epic. <laughs> random 12 inch. But yeah, I uh that's my white whale. Whenever, whenever that gets a repressing, if it ever gets a repressing, I'm so ready for that. Uh, Cause basically, like I said, like re- I remember record store day a handful of years ago, Bridget went to, I had to work. And so she went to Kalamazoo, which is like an hour away and picked up on uh, the Acacia strains dead walk, which was out for record store that year. And uh, Aaliyah agent, nothing but a number and bought those two for me. And the cash register person was like, Oh, yours and you know, boyfriend, husbands, whatever. And she goes, "No, both for my husband." <laughs> he goes, "Wow, that's really broad ends of the spectrum on that." Um, and then most prized possession. Um, I gotta say, it, it's probably that uh, that corn test press. Like, it's one of those that whenever you know, when I, when I had it and people would see it, they're just like, "Holy shit!" Like, there's five you know, of that makes sense. <laughs> Yeah, there's five of those, and there were ten total between the silver ver- version and the the one that I have. And you know, it's one of those things. Like some people are like, "Well, you know, this isn't you know the original pressing of a test press or whatever," but um, it is still one of those things that, like for me, that is one where it's like I can tell you where I was when I first heard that record and how much it meant to me. And is one of those things where I'm just like, there's. There's no way I'm not like, you know, Dan kind of made the comment earlier about like, oh, sometimes like with records, we're basically rebuying our youth on vinyl. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, that's that's totally what that record is. I mean, Dan even said, like, I think I played it once when I first got it because I unbeknownst to me, my friend bought the Coke very Coke bottle variant. Yeah. So at least I'd have a copy to play and listen to without having to play the, the test press. And it was one of those things where like Dan's like, Oh, I listened to it. Cause I don't have that on vinyl. And it was kind of cool to listen to that first self-titled record on vinyl and just kind of be going back to when you first heard it and all that. And I think to me, like that's the thing that I love about that record is it's so ensconced in my childhood. And you know, that was one of the first concerts I wanted to go see that I wanted to yeah, see that my parents took me. 
The uh, they were my first concert actually. Yeah, the Sick and Twisted tour was with them and Sting. Yeah. Yep, that was the first tour I wanted to go see by my like that I wanted to see of a band I liked, and you know my dad took me and it was one of those things like I'll never forget that. But like Corn is that band for me, like you know. So it was kind of a trip like to take my wife to go see Corn for her first time, and it's like yeah, they're not as scarier like uh, you know on top of things like as they were back like on that Sick and Twisted tour or whatever. But great live. like I saw them a couple of years ago. Like they're one yeah. of the best live bands I've ever seen. Absolutely, I'm sure them being the first show I saw probably has something to do with that, but like, they're fucking great. Like I've seen them maybe four or five times at this point. Yeah. I've seen them a handful of times. Like, did you, did you actually get to see him on that tour with uh, David drumming or did you get to see him with Mikey Borden from uh, faith? No more. Um, the, on the sick and twisted tour. I don't remember at all. <laughs> I know from, I know, uh, we got to see it with Mikey Borden, which was crazy because my dad being a big Ozzy fan and Faith No More fan, he was like, dude, that's, that's fucking Mikey Borden. And I was like, yeah, that, yeah, that's pretty cool. I'm like, I think it's like a couple days before, like for some reason, just like never occurred to me that like I can go see a concert. And my friend was like, you want to go see Corin? I was like, we could do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, we got like terrible seats, like literally one of the worst, like like, like one of the back rows. So I remember being far and smelling weed for the first time. I remember that being a very memorable show. I remember seeing boobs for the first time and my dad being like, yeah, you can't tell your mom about this. And I was like, okay. I think, uh, yeah, I, I think people were like flashing the fucking cameras and shit like in the, in between sets. I think that was the thing. I remember a website. This is going way back. I remember a website called concertflashing.com. I don't remember that, but that's <laughs> <laughs> like, wow. Talk about the internet, the early days of the internet where you could find weird shit. <laughs> the internet became like it be like i assume we're around the same age i'm 35 I'm so like 36 in like a month uh, yeah, yeah so not even it's been very interesting like we're in the generation where like we remember pre-internet like, and also remember like the beginning of it and how like everyone was just happy to fucking have free things and have access to talk to each other and like the last 10 years it's just gotten like so toxic and the internet is just such a sad place <laughs> i just wanted the internet so i could play max Payne on my there computer <laughs> dan still has the uh, fucking uh, mouse pad oh uh, yeah i think i stopped using that one finally now i've got what i've got this uh monstrosity here which is like a led constantly changing lights thing because that's what's cool about computer computers now kids you can make them rainbowy too yeah well, Thanks. this was a My lot of kids fun. Kids love it. Where, uh, where? I mean, granted, I have a little ticker down here at the bottom where it says uh, where you can go to to find uh, your stuff. But uh, for those listening, because we're going to do the audio portion of this, where can everyone find uh, you or Enjoy the Ride Records or any of that stuff online? Um, social media is at Enjoy the Ride Records um, on Facebook and Instagram uh, at Enjoy the Ride R E S on Twitter and uh, Enjoy the Ride Records dot com is the website and that has photos and everything on sale that's still in stock and pressing information and all that good stuff. So got some articles and trying to get some more content. Also our mailing list is uh, relatively new within the last couple of years. And we have all sorts of exclusive shit through there also. And uh, the fun trick, we're going to actually release this on vinyl. Ross is going to put this uh, interview out. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. An hour and a half double LP. 
Oh man, that'd be so sweet. I want a test press. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and a picture disc with all of our faces on it. You make sure mine's in this quality. I will not send you anything higher than this. <laughs> it's a I, lossless quality. I like, I like the VHS look of my webcam. I don't know. It almost feels like you're about to get murdered at any moment. I know. I Somebody commented that on my live stream the other night. They're like, is somebody about to sneak up behind you with an axe? And I'm like, no, you better be looking behind you. <laughs> don't don't worry about me actually i have one last question for you just because i have i've wondered this seeing these pop up a lot more so you're starting to see a lot of uh vinyl for like you know uh, i think it was the friday the 13th that was doing the blood filled uh stuff and obviously i've seen like the translucent vinyl i think you did one with like glow in the dark uh ink or something or uh, liquid. a few things like that we did uh for scotty doesn't know we did absent yeah. filled we did uh for turtles, we did like an ooze filled. Yep. Uh, we did for coconut peat, we did a sand filled, um, which is broken lizard people for yep. not familiar. Um, and then we're doing we put a pre order up for twenty eight, which was you know the zombie movies, a blood filled version of that, which is shipping like in the next couple of weeks. I'm pretty sure I saw pictures a couple of days ago, and then we have a bunch more coming actually. But yeah, <laughs> how hard is it to to get that? Because I feel like with the the extra weight of it and potentially it moving that it like I don't own anything like that. Is it hard to get it to work to where it's not affecting the record playing at all? Um, yeah, like the whatever inside doesn't affect like the weight of like the vinyl itself sound wise or anything. Granted, like they're mainly novelties like people you can listen to them and people sometimes do listen to them. But in my in my opinion and in my suggestion, they're not really meant to be listened to like a lot. You can listen to it, but like they're, they're novelties, but that said, like they sound fine. Uh, I've listened mm-hmm. to all the ones that we've put out, um, both samples and finished product or whatever. And yeah, they're, yeah, they're really collect, like they bring the whole market to like another level of, you know, novelty collectability kind of stuff we're doing a ren and snippy release i announced this on the mondo uh like art of soundtrack thing a few weeks ago uh we're doing a ren and snippy release that we're gonna do like kitty kitty litter inside so <laughs> that's cool yeah. yeah it was just one of those things like i wondered because like it would seem like potentially the sloshing of the liquid moving while it's spinning would throw off like the vinyl is really heavy like it's two records together so like okay like i I've never had any issue with like anything inside affecting anything, but the records themselves are pretty heavy. So I, they're, they're weighed down. <laughs> I think Dan and I have actually had an argument about this at one point. Does the European like heavier vinyl actually do anything or is it just like a, a because you're sold that it sounds better or it's supposed to be better than it does. From my research and whatever, from what I've seen, the gram of vinyl doesn't do anything with the sound quality. It's, more to prevent warping which that's what i was gonna say it's definitely a more like it's a tougher product but yeah yeah, it's not gonna make your record magically sound good because there's so many guys you can always tell when somebody's been collecting vinyl for a very short period of time when they're like i just got this baby here 180 gram and i was like okay so it's more work to put it in like i Yes, I, don't, I don't know i don't understand you know it's like oh it's 180 grams yeah man it's a very very nice record but like it doesn't sound better than like my copy. That's my floppy copy. I mean, if you grab every most people will tell you straight up like a record from the eighties 
that's that hasn't been messed with sounds better than uh than a lot of the modern releases that come out Dude, that's my all just fears record sounds great well that's what i'm saying they sound great um so why is it that it has to be 180 gram or whatever uh to sound great in in modern day it just doesn't it doesn't really make doesn't really make any sense nobody modern day also like like standard weight from the plant that we primarily use is like 140 to 160 gram and then right anyway quote unquote it's like 180 to 200 grams so like back in back in the 80s when it was you know everything was a bit thinner 70s 80s like i think it was more like 80 90 100 so yeah i don't like plus like very minimal differences like unless you have a really high-end system and you have a really trained ear like you're not going to hear very minimal things yeah people hear things that they want to hear in a lot of situations where they (laughs) various things honestly well that's why it's a good marketing term it's like it's like blast processing for the sega you know it's like (laughs) why is why is sonic so fast well it's it's blast processing it's like oh okay Uh, uh, i'll always use uh um uh, something learning. Uh, Apple always uses during their keynotes. Uh, I can't remember the name. Whatever. But yeah, buzzwords. Yeah. <laughs> well, Ross, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Uh, it was a lot of fun, and I know you and I have gone back and forth with a lot of different uh, vinyl talks. So it was fun to finally do this kind of in a big, more public forum. Uh, yeah, and, uh, a rare. Uh, interview i guess what was that <laughs> a rare interview i guess is only like the like second or third time i'm doing something like this but uh, i mean i i hit you up so, like so long ago and then you're like ah there's a lot of stuff that like i just don't want to talk about and then i was like well i mean we can make it fun and whatever and you're like ah, i just I, I don't do that and i was like all right all right that's cool and finally here we are like like that's kind of been the funny thing about like all these years later now of like some people like uh you know getting to talk to jesse from misery signals it's like i hit him up a while ago and he's like yeah you know uh, i don't know and then he was like yeah i'm interested and then it was like all these conditions and it was like this is the year that it finally happened and it was really cool when it did but it was just one of those things like it took so long but it's like i feel like with everyone kind of having nothing to do and stuff like that and i think like these kind of things becoming more prevalent i think everyone's kind of like i guess it's not really like you know it's really it's not as scary as i think it is like dan for a while was like i don't want to do live live scares me and then like now like he was telling me that it's like so i started a twitch uh i do live from this thing and i was like god damn man like created a monster <laughs> it's the i mean it's just the garbage uh the garbage camera so it's one of those like i don't know man it's it's gotten more fun and you know it's all all in control i think I think in, in the world pre-podcasts, when somebody would ask you to do an interview, you had no idea what you were in for in the sense of like, are people going to just like, because I did, I did a few interview for, interviews for like magazines and stuff whenever I, whenever I played music. And, um, and it was always like some of the interviews were cool, but sometimes like it would just be like randomly out of nowhere. You know, I was joking before we went on on stream that I was going to be, you know, the first question. So what do you think of Trump, you know, or something like that? Um, but you would actually get stuff like that, like in the early 2000s and stuff, like people would ask you just the weirdest question. So, like, I totally understand why a lot of people are super guarded about like, oh, uh, I don't want to get into a potentially unfamiliar or weird situation or a conversation that I didn't really sign up for <laughs> with somebody. Um, and that's also what I tell myself anytime, you know, cause I mean, shoot me and John are asking for interviews like every day and that's why we don't take it personally. Cause like I get like, 
you know, even even when people we get requests a lot of times to be on other podcasts, and it's like, uh, I don't know if there's anything that could be gleaned from my being on your podcast that isn't already gleaned from what I'm already doing, you know. <laughs> so, yeah. totally get that. And for better or worse, like the company is really still just me. Like I have an operations manager who like is a friend of mine that helps out like uh, remotely uh, once a week and here once a week. But like, I don't know. I was always kind of hesitant interview wise, just cause I don't know, it's easy, an easy target when there's a face and a name directly associated with a company yeah. and like, in that early on, uh, like especially the vinyl collectors are a passionate bunch to say the least. Um, so that was part of it. Also people, uh, people on the internet with their, you know, faceless warriors. Mm-hmm. So lastly, something we're going to do just because I know the audio will be pumped out and I, I, I'm going to assume it's going to take a little bit to get to this number. So I'm just going to go ahead and put it in here. Uh, so when I talked to Doc Coyle, uh, the whole thing was I got a Wawa gift card uh, from them for having a uh, Wawa tattoo uh, for those watching or who will see this. And so they sent me this gift card. Unfortunately, I live in Michigan. There is no Wawa here. There's not one anywhere remotely near me. And sadly, you can't use this on their online store. So I guess credit to them that you have to go to a store and use this. So they know if you buy one, you're, you're kind of stuck with it. Um, excuse me. So we are currently sitting at 272 subscribers on our YouTube channel. As of when we're doing this interview, if we can get to 300, as soon as we get to 300, I'm going to give this away. Stipulation going to be when you go subscribe over on our YouTube channel, I'm going to post a photo of this on our socials, comment on whatever one it is that you prefer to do it on that you've done done it, send a screenshot that you've done it, whatever. Let me know what your username is so at least I can track it. Um, please, please, please don't be the idiot who wants to win something for the sake of fucking winning something. If you don't live near a place that has a Wawa, please don't try to win this because that defeats the whole purpose of this. Um, so basically, all you got to do, just go over there. When we hit 300 subscribers and you basically have done what I've asked and, and commented that you've done that and leave your uh, username, I will pick out of those 28 uh, people. Um, I don't I mean, I guess I could open it up to the other 300, but I'm going to just do it for this. Uh, so the, out of the 28, when you comment that, I will randomly pick someone to win this and I will send it. Um, and uh, I almost want to do something cool. Um, I don't know if Ross will agree to do this. I'm putting him on the spot currently. Uh, maybe he will be gracious enough to let me... Uh, pay for something like a 10% off or something like that, a coupon that I can give uh, for enjoy the ride records to kind of sweeten the deal a little bit. Yeah. We can figure something out. Uh, so let's do that. 300 uh, subscribers. Let us know when you do it, comment on the thing and uh, I'll get with Ross and come up with uh, some kind of a thing that I can help pay for uh, a coupon or something that you can use over at enjoy the ride records.com on a pro uh, record that you would like to purchase yourself. Uh, and so it's a win-win for everybody. Um, so uh, go do that. And uh, this has been go, a lot of fun. Go do that. Yeah, go do that. Uh, I live in Wawa, by the way. Unfortunately, I also don't live near a Wawa. But dude, I was so bummed same. when I went to Long Island, and I was like, God, I gotta be fucking near one now. And I was like, No. And I was like, Yeah, this is so stupid. A couple times I was on tour is my only Wawa experience. I think Pennsylvania maybe has. Yep, Pennsylvania uh, has them. That's basically where they started was Wawa, Pennsylvania. Um, it's so sad how much of <laughs> their story I know. Um, there's actually apparently a documentary that's being worked on called Sheets versus Wawa, like a convenience store, uh, whatever. You have a tattoo. 
Uh, and so I sent, I showed them a, a, a photo of my tattoo and they're like, can we use this? Can we use this in potentially in the documentary and so forth? And I was like, absolutely. And, uh, I last I checked, like there is no closer to being done. Um, <laughs> but I, I mean, what in like the day and age of like the King of Kong and stuff like that, like, I feel like that is going to be such a wild ass documentary because like people are so loyal to one or the other. It's like, people are so diehard about sheets or so diehard about Wawa that like, when you like my wife put on uh, my Wawa hoodie one day outside of a show, cause she was cold and this kid walks by. He's like, fuck. Yeah. Fuck. She was like, fuck sheets. Wawa's the shit. And she just kind of looked at me and was like, what? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then I was like, yeah, when you wear that, that's, that's, that's serious business. Like you're claiming like, a, like I'm not saying it's on the level of, like Crips and bloods, but like you're choosing a specific, <laughs> A specific thing and you gotta like take the responsibility of that and uh it's a it's definitely a brand loyalty thing and uh so i'm 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 very much appreciative of wawa sending me all the stuff that they did um have you had but, wegmans? what was that you ever had wegmans i have it, it has been a very long time um i always loved uh and i know they haven't had the podcast on for a while the uh the Andy from Eated uh, podcast that he does with uh, Jesse, and they constantly talk about Wegmans and Sheets because Andy's like, yeah. "Fuck Wawa, Sheets is a shit, blah blah blah." And I'm always like, "Andy, I love you so much, but like, you're wrong." There's no <laughs> Wegmans around here either. But I went to Buffalo for college, and like, they're all up there, and like, it is magical. It is a magical place. It's like, I... a, it's like a like an amusement park mixed with a supermarket not really but like, like no, I, I get what you mean you just get stoned and walk around there's like like a train going around the store and, and <laughs> candy, that like you weigh your own candy and just make a make a random assortment bag and just like all these little sections that all have crazy shit in it did you ever go to the pink while you were in buffalo to where the pink no what's that it's a bar. It's like the diviest dive bar. Like it has been named one of the top 10 dive bars in the entire U S I never really went to the city that much. Uh, like okay. generally near campus and like downtown of campus. I, okay. I went downtown. I went to the city a couple times, but, okay. two shows, but never really hung out down there. It was kind of far from us. I went yeah, to that was- Buffalo, not Buff State. Buff State's kind of closer. Yeah, I was gonna say when I, I went, like obviously being a big ETID fan, like all I've ever heard is the pink, the pink, the pink, the pink. And I finally went. We went every day that we were there, and it is a shithole, but in the greatest, nicest sense. Uh, and then the day after tip the season, we went just to go have drinks and shit. And then Steve from Etid was there and telling wildly inappropriate stories. And I was like, I know this is your home bar, but dude, like this time of year probably isn't the time to be telling some of the stories you're telling and naming the names that you're naming because. Like if I wanted to like say some shit right now, like I could definitely be like, oh, would you like to hear a story about X, 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 X people from these bands who did some very wildly inappropriate things? Because I heard from straight from the source. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, thanks again for doing this. And uh, I'm sure we'll be in touch. And for those listening to the audio version, we will see you on Sunday with whoever we have at that point. Cool. See you. Dude. Sounds good. See you.